It is time to tune up the band and get ready for your close-up. <laughs> it is another episode of the Sweet Chinwag Podcast. I am Sam, as ever alongside Dan and Reardon as we continue our journey through the wacky world of professional wrestling. How are you two gentlemen today? I'll be honest, I thought you were going to go for a Shattered Dreams joke. <laughs> I, you know what? I was hoping that he would do the... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you gotta didn't do that the whole is his command indeed it's that go- wasn't as always that wasn't planned so i'm just like yes he did it that's my boy hey <laughs> look i couldn't let you down read and couldn't let you down <laughs> how are you chaps doing anyway you had a good week i'm still alive <laughs> yeah, no, no, very, very busy. And I'm very happy to say that our latest episode of Being Proud with Brandon Hamilton has gone down an absolute treat. It has. Um, Absolutely, that's what we'd like to seeing, hear. Seeing the feedback and the messages and the tweets that he put up about it genuinely made me cry. <laughs> yeah, it did. It, it, it got me a bit emotional, that did. So, no if, no, if you have not seen it, that is up on our YouTube channel, and it is a bloody good interview. Uh, Dan, knocking it out of the park, as per usual. Thank you very much, Dan. You absolute legend. You can't see me, but I'm doing my, like, kawaii poses. Beautiful. <laughs> oh, I can feel it. I can feel it. I can feel the Maki Ito emanating from your microphone, Dan. Absolutely. Kawaii and, no You know, there we go. But this is it. This is the last, this is the last, um, not that, you know, every day and every month is pride, but this is the last, um, this, this is the is, last... This- this is the last episode for Pride Month specifically, although we do still have two, uh, three more episodes of Being Proud to come yet because Pride doesn't stop in at the end of June. Absolutely. It's been, it's been a heck of a month and I have enjoyed it so, so much. Um, from a creative now get, standpoint... Now we get to be busy appearing on other people's stuff again. <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> it's been a hell of a lot of fun and just creatively and just positive uh vibes from every every corner of the of the lgbt qia plus community as well as pro wrestling it's been it's been so freaking cool and i can't wait to do it all again next year for sure absolutely um and just to follow on from uh the little outlet i just said uh, in July, we will be opening ourselves back up to collaborations again. So if you want to tell people that you want us to work with, then please do. Yes, we we, we, we are looking forward and, uh, to, to having more people June on the June has podcast. been far too busy. <laughs> it really, really has. But anyway, we give you this podcast thanks to those lovely people over at SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and always and forever pending other platforms. Ha ha ha. Huzzah. Oh, next week, starting on the 28th of June, from this recording anyway, and this episode, Chinwag Week will be uh, starting up on Project Dits, which is so, so exciting, and I'm so freaking hyped to have a whole week dedicated to just episodes of ours coming out. Wrap to Chinwag Week, and may we always shatter dreams (laughs) by no longer being pending on various podcasts. And yet always be pending yeah <laughs> i like there I will like... always be look every other day i'm sure some startup starts a podcast platform that we will find a way <laughs> to get ourselves onto exactly that is true 
<laughs> hey, maybe if you're out there and you're listening and you're thinking of creating a podcast hosting platform, <laughs> <laughs> if you are, marquee signing right here. Exactly. Exactly. But before we get on we've to this... Been dra- we've been drafted over. <laughs> um, does this mean we're going to have to compete with the Joe Rogan experience in terms of exclusivity deals? Or just... We could take Please, him. No. We could take him. We could, we could absolutely <laughs> take them. <laughs> my closest... In, my closest. The closest I want any involvement with Joe Rogan is occasionally deciding to watch a UFC fight. Exactly, is what I was thinking. That's about it. <laughs> or playing at least one of the good ufc games the ones that thq made anyway uh before we get on (laughs) to this episode all about the natural dustin Rhodes. so excited for this episode it is time to head over for yet another dark depressing week of news (laughs) for this week's wrestling news wrestling news all right let's let's just let's just do it let's just rip the band-aid (laughs) <laughs> Kalina. It's, another, it's another set of releases so Woo! i'll give you the full list um for anyone that hasn't seen it already or if you already have uh you might have missed someone we have breezango tony nice aria davari august gray ever rise kurt stallion the bollywood boys arturo ruas marina shafir killian dane and tino sabatelli oh blimey um yeah, where do we even start? I'm gonna st- well, we'll start with Breezango for a start to a team that you just were such an established part of the company, and you would never think yeah. in a million years would have ever have been released because they were such a staple of the tag division. In just- 2016, they were putting in some really high level work. Yeah, I mean, and then when and when they returned to NXT, they were putting in high level work. They had an NXT tag title reign. It's still. They didn't get a main roster tag title run, did they? No. Believe it or they not. Had a great, they had a great program with the Usos in 2016. They had Fashion Files. Oh, I love the Fashion Files it's to this still, day. Still one of the actual funniest things WWE has ever created. Yep. Oh, abs- oh just, I'm so, um, so upset this one. Uh, I don't know if WWE ever actually properly registered this fact, but Fandango is and probably will remain post wwe one of the most over wrestlers in the uk from wwe he was yes. number, wasn't he number 11 <laughs> on the uk charts whenever any wrestling show happened in the uk people just start singing fandango's yes. theme uh, yes no because i can remember coming back from oh god i think it was a progress show um uh, and I just remember I was just on the train back and people just started playing Fandango's theme <laughs> yes. and everyone was just singing along to it. And I was just like, I don't even know what I'm, how I'm meant to feel about this, but like people were happy. <laughs> I remember being on the, I think it was, uh, it was would have been uh, the Victoria line coming back from uh, from a Nally Pally show the progress had and just suddenly just impromptu. That's what I mean. I don't. I genuinely don't think WWE ever realised what they had with that. Nah, they really. They they didn't understand that the British to Fandango, <laughs> the terrorist culture, are like. Cause I, are cause like I've, I've always said to I've always said to American fans and like um the people I speak to over at um, the Shining Wizards Discord. Mm. I'm like, what American companies need to realize is British fans love anything that we can chant. 
Yes. If you, <laughs> really give us, if you give us something that we can chant or sing along to, you will have our support. Yeah. They they don't understand the chanting. They really and don't. There, and I'm just there because like I, um, because it was someone had like tweeted. Uh, you remember Enzo and Cass, right? Yes. Oh yes. Yeah, and so they had a, they had one from I believe it was a show they did in Cardiff, mm. and they were like, "Oh man, check out this crowd reaction." I'm like, "Yeah," because they gave the audience something to chant back at them, and yes. that just means that people in the UK are gonna love it. <laughs> yes. Just give us something we can shout, and we'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> Give us something that it only takes two pints and a limited amount of brain span to do. When when um when Daniel Bryan came or Brian Danielson at the time came over for his matches against um Nigel McGuinness, and yes, everyone liked McGuinness because he was from the because he was from the UK, Mm. but also um Brian Danielson would come to the ring to the final countdown. Which just is immediately pops anyone in the UK. Yes. Yep. So I'm like, just, just give people something to interact with. We're a pantomime culture. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So we love audience interaction. So just, <laughs> hey, any any American company is thinking like, hey, we should do a show in the UK. G- give your biggest star something that we can interact with. <laughs> no, I'm Hell, not... American American should have realized it with. Um, um, Adam Cole. Yes, but they still you didn't. <laughs> they still didn't. Um, but no, I mean, like, Breeze Anger are amazing. Tyler Breeze, the only person in WWE to have matched Institution Thunder Liger. That <laughs> is something. Brooklyn, 2015. That is something that will never be taken away from him. And honestly, it will I never s- be taken away from him. I and love that match. That match was oh, great. It, is. it was something that someone said to me. I think it was from like a. I want to say it was a what culture video or something. Mm. It was something like that. But the same, Jushin Liger is kind of the best opener wrestler, like the best wrestler to have in an opening match of a show. Oh, no, absolutely. Without oh. question. I think, and that, that, that match exemplifies why that is. Oh. Yeah, no. Um,. But yeah, no. Wherever they end up, they'll do amazing. And obviously, um, Tyler Breeze has his wrestling school, which he runs with Sean Spears. He'll. Be, I think uh, both of which them, is, be... which is which is just going strength to strength, really. Exactly. I think both of them will be absolutely fine. Oh yeah. Uh, moving on. I mean, moving on next. The everyone else. I mean, Everrise is kind of weird to me because they. I mean, they had. Well. They didn't really have an opportunity to get over on NXT, but mm. people people definitely like them, and they definitely had ability. Oh, they just never really got question. the chance to show it. It was one of those things where they had they were they were over before they had been signed, and they brought that contingent of the fans that loved them over, and it looked like they had such a good foundation to build upon, and they were building upon it, and then some. So this is why it's so shocking. It's like, with all this well, momentum... It's, it's so shocking to me, because they got their own show. A week ago. Or, no, not even that. It was two days ago, actually, it was wasn't like it? was, like, two days ago that they got their own show, and then they immediately are gone. I'm just like, <sighs> okay. 
It's like if they gave Dan Housen Conan's spot on TBS now that he's gone, but then decided two nights later that they didn't like Dan Housen, which would be a crime because Dan Housen is lovely. We love that Dan Housen. Very nice and very evil. <laughs> uh, very deserving of all your human monies. Um, but no, like it, it's 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 a weird decision to me. Uh, but then following on next, basically, the 205 Live has been completely gutted to about four people. Yeah. <laughs> At which point, just just fold it into NXT. It's what they should have done, you know. I think a lot like, of people just, would just say. just fold it into just fold it into NXT. And I guess if you want to, I mean, again, as far as we know, there's meant to be another NXT show happening, which is that NXT Evolve, which is just Evolve but not. Yeah, I. Uh, who's so the... whenever whenever that's happening, um, that will probably be a vehicle for it. But it's just crazy that they had an entire show which was based around cruiserweights, and then the cruiserweight champion never appeared on it. Basically, right now the cruiserweight division is Kushida holding the cruiserweight title and doing the exact same motions as John Travolta. That John Travolta meme of just look what, 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 what's going on? <laughs> well, because the thing is, is that he's been coming up against people and the people that they want to bring in to the company and show and be like, hey, look, this is the new person to be in our cruiserweight division. But then, like, on 205 Live, you just had people like Davari um, and Tony Nese that were just kind of there, just ha- having good matches. Mm. But it was like, there, there was nowhere to go for them because it's like, they did the whole thing of like, oh... Um, like, remember they did the tag team tournament? Yes. And they had teams from 205 Live and then every team from 205 Live got eliminated in the first round. Yeah. <laughs> so it just set out, it was like, oh, if you're on 205 Live, you mean nothing. <laughs> Just uh, and so it was just like, and as we said, like they did all an awful job of promoting it. Yep, it was recorded alongside and in the same space as NXT, but was shown after SmackDown. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) exactly. Um, you know, it was like your cruiserweight champion wasn't on there. The 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 cruiserweight title wasn't even valid for the show based on my understanding of how WWE operated it, because it was explicitly the NXT Cruiserweight title, even though there's no other Cruiserweight title in the company. Yeah. Um, and there was no forward progression for anyone that was on the show. So, you know, where does it go from here? I mean, the Cruiserweight title scene in NXT is richer than ever. Yeah. People like Ikem and Jiro, Asher Hale are only going to add to it. Mm. But, like, surely the show can't survive anymore. Surely. I mean, this you can't literally just have every week... Well, I say this, you can't have the same people every week in the same matches. But mind you, I say that, and that's just Monday Night Raw, isn't it? I was going to say, that's just Raw, isn't it? <laughs> but you can't have four members of a roster... Do you remember, I think it was last year, and it was last year on Raw, you know Apollo Crews faced like, the Hurt Business in like 15 matches straight? Yes. <sighs> it wasn't even like a beat-the-clock gauntlet challenge, was it? <laughs> no, it was 15 weeks of matches. Yep. Just Apollo Crews versus the Hurt Business. And then Ricochet took up the spot and did that for about nine weeks. And then realised, um, oh, wait, it shouldn't be the Hurt Business. And then suddenly, oh, it was Retribution that we should have been booking it against. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's funny you say about you can't run you can't run a roster on four people when the I think it's the SmackDown women's roster has like seven people. Oh crap! Yeah, doesn't it? Oh yeah. <laughs> well, shut my mouth. Well, I mean, ov- I mean, obviously, part of that is that Sasha Banks has had time off because I believe she's doing more acting stuff. Among other things, if um, yeah. if other things are meant to go by, oh gosh, I won't go into that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, and then um, I mean, so a random aside on that. Um, Ruby Riot is now going by Ruby Soho, Great um, and as far reference. as I understand, she's trying to. Well, I either the person who owns the rights to the music, or ruby herself is trying to get the rights to the music to use it as her theme i mean i mean i, I know lars frederickson's a huge wrestling fan so i don't think i don't think he'd mind i can't remember which way around it goes <laughs> um moving on next uh yeah i mean we'll say with august gray and kurt stallion they were both brought in relatively recently at least within i believe the last year they were promising um pros- they, they were promising prospects uh, which yeah. just it again, it's another surprise. It's like you didn't even give them a chance. Like, I mean, Kurt Stallion, for example, is a guy that's been with the company for the whole pandemic era, and so like, oh gosh, like he 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 had to work doubly extra to make sure he was gonna give get some time. So, ah, uh. yeah, because I think, because I think, I want to say Gray was signed. About August 2020. Mm-hmm. I want to say Kurt Stallion was probably not until September. Yeah. Just, oh, like... Ah! <laughs> um, we had the Singh brothers. Um, been with WWE since about 2016. Uh, most well known for their pairing with Jinder Mahal during his WWE champion run. And taking some disgusting bumps they're most famous for as well. But at the hands of Randy Orton, nonetheless. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now this one's a shame, as well as no. But knowing that those two have worked incredibly well together uh, and worked with what they had, they'll be they 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 will be uh, without question a very good tag team for any company they're involved in. Yep. Uh, Arturo Ruas, who's most well known for his appearances in Raw Underground. This is a disappointment. One match against Kushida. I, this is a disappointment because I really liked Arturo Huas, and it's just a shame that he was. It was so stop start. He had some injuries here and there, and it looked like because he was he he brought such a different style to his wrestling because he had such a, a rich history in in martial arts that they would have kept him on because of him being so different. But alas, uh, no, it was not to be. It is a shame. As I said, it's a shame because I I generally thought he was an interesting guy, and I was I I thought he might have been really good for NXT. I mean, there's definitely there's definitely companies that are going to want to snap him up, um, depending on who they are. He's probably going to have a good time on the independent scene if he chooses to go that route. Bloodsport Seven. So yeah, so I said obviously you have Bloodsport, <laughs> and then also you have. Um, Okay, I have mixed feelings on this show, but CFU. Yeah, I know what you mean. Which has which has recently just started, but I will say, man, when it comes to copyright, they are treading a thin line. 
I know what you mean. Arguably, they've already overstepped it. But... <laughs> I know what you mean, because it's like... Uh, like I, I mean, because, like, t- to me, do you think that the time of, like... Or at least in WWE, do you think the time of, like, the, the Ken Shamrock absolute... You know, like, absolute gunner character's just gone now? It's a shame, but I, I, I think, I think it may have at least in WWE it has. Yeah, it, it, it certainly has. And it's, I mean, I mean, given like the 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 stuff that Shayna Baszler's had to deal with, it kind of makes me go, wow, they're really not going for those those sorts of characters anymore. The straight laced, legit, I could kill you, but you know, since this then- is wrestling, I can't. Well- Follow it. Following on, uh, Marina Shafir was also part of that. Um, I believe it was Jessamine Duke that was released. That was released yeah. earlier this year. Yep. So that's 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 that four horsewomen versus four horsewomen gone. Yep. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, the fact that they didn't pull the trigger in like the first year kind of made me think, man, that's never going to happen. Yeah. Um. You know, absolute shame on that. Um. I'm just kind of ashamed they never really got more opportunities considering they've been there since 2018. Exactly. Exactly. And they were, I mean, especially with um, the visual that we saw the May Young Classic of all, of, of all like, women squaring up to one another. And yeah. it was just like, man, if there was ever a time to really pull it, you should have done it now. It's like, I can't... I can't get over my head as to why the company has taken such a quick dislike to former like with people with a fighting background or with legit skills um it's confusing (laughs) to say the least and especially especially with with what's happened this year with them going left right and center it's like wow they really are doubling down on the whole oh no we just want wrestlers they changed their mind. Is the real answer? Which makes me wonder how long is Hideki Suzuki going to be in in the NXT? Yeah, and that's why that's what I mean. I'm like, Hideki Suzuki is amazing, but like, I just don't know how well they're gonna try and fit him into the formula. True. I mean, he's a coach uh, at the Performance Center, um, so it surprised the heck out. I mean, that they oh, they're gonna stick him on TV as well. Um, but, I mean, it's no surprise because the guy is incredibly talented with just a whole wealth of of matches and experience under his belt that you should go and take a look at. Um, there is, I, I can't yeah. remember who tweeted it, but there was there is a Twitter thread of all of the accomplishments and matches that Hideki Suzuki's been in in Japan, and you should definitely go out of your way to watch it. He's great. But I, my, my, yeah. I digress. It's so confusing. This, this. I mean, not just for this. I just think. That this whole year, uh, especially with Nick Khan taking over as president, has been a really confusing, uh, confusing time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially when you hear the names. I mean, I mean, when I was, I'll, I'll get straight to it. But Killian Dane is the one that really, really, along with Fan, uh, Fandango and Tyler Breeze, was the one that are you like yeah. maybe go what the fuck. What the actual fuck? Because everyone knows, in this country especially, and in Ireland, we all know how fucking good Big Damo is. And how we were yeah. all so excited when he got signed to NXT. So I was going to be one of the best legit big men 
in NXT, and he's going to absolutely kill it. Ah! <laughs> I loved the storyline of him being the Nelson to uh, Drake Maverick's uh, Martin Prince. <laughs> but no, just like... I don't know. If it's me, I will I will go back to the sentiments of what I said several weeks ago. This just it just it screams and stinks like they're gearing up to try and resell the company. Or try yeah. to sell the company, I should say. Yeah. Uh, it really does it does scream that. Uh, but it, it's that thing I, I know a lot of people were going on the rumors of saying that uh you know, is this is Vince McMahon so desperate to not give it to Triple H and Stephanie that he'll get Nick Khan to run it to the ground and all of that sort of stuff? And it's like I, we don't know that because we're not in, we're not in that yeah, environment we, and stuff. We don't, yeah. know, we don't know what's happening. But it's certainly I feel like Nick Khan's going from a, uh, a perspective. It certainly looks like Nick Khan's going from the perspective of his experience in Hollywood and going, why do we have all of this? I'm just cutting down everything so we can have this, 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 and this, and seems if it can work that way. He's yeah. be- he's a ruthless Hollywood producer is what he's being in the WWE. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just minus the Weinstein stuff. <laughs> Moving on. Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. Um interesting it's confusing it's upsetting this is the longest period of time i've seen in recent memory of constant cutting i don't know about you guys no i've never seen it like this (laughs) never seen it like this before i think the thing is just compared to before it was literally just like one day bam gone we've had what three or four runs of cuts now nothing like that yeah in the space of We've had we've had three, two we've months? had three talent cuts, mm. and then one which was basically all backstage people. Yeah, it was a big departmental uh, shift that one uh, cut. Um, um, flat out a load of departments just collapsing, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, in t- in terms of corporate restructuring, that's certainly a bunch of big moves to make <laughs> certainly he's certainly making his presence felt isn't he nick Khan? yes oh i would say so <laughs> say what you will about the man he is making an impact <laughs> this makes me wonder as well of, uh, it makes me wonder of what you what is they're going what is going to be or what is their trajectory now for their international expansion because that's what well, everyone yeah. knows as as everything keeps being repeated, we obviously have NXT India, which is apparently still going to be a thing. Mm. Even though I have no idea when it's actually meant to happen or when it's meant to start broadcasting on the network. Mm. Or Peacock for those in the US. <laughs> uh, although, judging by the way Peacock is going right now, they won't get it until about two months later. Um Obviously, NXT Mexico and NXT Japan have been bandied around constantly, and like no one knows what the hell's happening with those. <laughs> Frankly, I don't know where the I don't know where the company sits in regards to NXT UK anymore. Same, <laughs> really don't. I to be quite honest, I feel like it's going to be on its way out very soon, and which hurts is, to say, but. It, 
I just feel well, it. and because the thing is, is that honestly now I've, a lot of people I see in the British wrestling community are turning on it. And 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 here's and here's the thing. If if anything, I think it achieved its mission of absolutely killing any and all momentum that the British wrestling scene had. Which is, I know that's a very pessimistic thing to say, but I'm in agreement with you, Reardon. It doesn't look like it's going to last much longer. Mm. And it kills me to say that because of how many incredibly talented people are in that that occupy that roster. Yeah. yeah. It's... It's it's really I I take absolutely no pleasure in saying that, but I'm just calling it as I see it. Either you give the strap to Dragonov right now, and he makes a killing over in NXT UK or NXT to try and save something from it, or it's not to say that Volta's done a bad job. If anything, I think, I think he's been no, the victim think, of terrible I... booking and just the the, the sheer non advertisement of NXT UK. Well, I think the I think the biggest thing for NXT UK is that just as an organisation, yeah, <laughs> people people know what the British wrestling scene is like and has been through, and I honestly I think for a lot of people they've just lost faith. Yeah, and that's yeah. not and that's not to spite Dragonov, Volta, Chaley Ray, um, Rampage Brown for the time that he's been there, um. <sighs> And so many of the other amazing people, Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster, Danny Luna, um, Piper Niven when she was there. It's crazy for a roster that has Mako Satamura in their roster. The fact that we're talking about NXT UK like this is just like, what happened? (laughs) And so we're just there and we're like, well, because it really depends because... To some people I speak to, the biggest problem they have is they just say, like, oh, watching NXT UK is just, like, watching the same thing over and over and over again. Because, mm. like, hell, when we were there and we started off this year, I was like, oh, damn, A-Kid is getting a run. Yeah. And then he just disappeared. And he had a great match against Volta as well to cap it off. He had a really good match against Volta. <laughs> Um, they brought in Rampage Brown and I was like, damn, that's good. That'll probably shake things up. Mm. And then he got stuck in a tag team story. Yeah. Um, let alone all the questions around the talent and the organization and how everything is in regards to speaking out and all of that. That's a much bigger question. That's a whole separate topic. Yeah. Um, but like, because it's like I said to people, the only thing that I've been excited for in regards to NXT UK is obviously the prospect of Volta v Dragonov. Exactly. But at this point, I feel like for them, A, I feel like it's going to run to a trilogy. Yeah. At the first match, the second one's coming up, and then presumably the third will be the win. And I assume they're waiting for them to have fans back. My, 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 what I'm thinking, but oh God, I just, yeah. <laughs> and look, look, look! I'll be there and say I know when, when fans return and they announce that first show, probably in Cardiff or Blackpool, <laughs> they'll get they'll get people to go. Absolutely, they'll probably sell out. Absolutely, I say I say that with pretty fair confidence. <laughs> Um, but I think 
the project with where it is now has left a lot to be desired. Yeah. 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 Um, God, I could speculate about the reasoning behind that. Is it a creative decision? Is it WWE's uh, decision on all of that? Or is it their, you know, all of that? But maybe it's I a combination think, okay, of everything. I, I, think, I think for me, it comes down to they've gotten comfortable they have people yeah. they have people that they feel they can rely on and people that they know that have created good stories so then their first thing is just okay we have this core group of seven people um and we're just going to use them for what we want to do because yeah. like um for example um Even though in the current... Okay, I'm going to mention to people that even in the context of this current time, I don't like for many reasons. <laughs> but it's like how it's it's always just reverting back to um, the title picture. It's basically a revolving door of Volta, Dragunov, Joe Coffey, Tyler Bate, and Trent Seven. Yeah. And, like, they're all reliable people and they've all done good stuff. But, like, outside, I mean, disregarding Volta because he said he doesn't want to move to the US, uh-huh. which is fine and completely valid, and I support him in that decision. Absolutely. Um, but, like, let's be real about it. The only person from NXT UK to have gone over and then they've even allowed the chance to make a point of himself was Pete Dunne. Yeah. Crazy, isn't it? <laughs> You know, and like they've they've done all this effort to basically say like, "Hey, this is our this is a regional promotion." That's it. Disregarding the fact you're getting Mako Satamura. Yeah. <laughs> like one of the form the foremost women's wrestlers in Japan, owner of her own entire wrestling company, which she still actively performs for and operates while working for NXT UK. Yeah. In Sendai Girls. Just... <sighs> and I'm just... It just leaves me at a point where I'm just like, I... I don't know where this goes. It Personally, if I'm NXT... If I'm WWE, mm-hmm. I'm scrapping the prospect of NXT Mexico. I'm scrapping NXT Japan. Yeah. And I'm basically... I And I would say... Go do basically do your India project. Go to a country which has a big wrestling fan base, but no defined promotion structure. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Make it your own territory, and basically do what you want to hold the scene with an iron because... fist. Probably. Yeah. No, I I fully I fully expect that anything that they would do in regards to that would be having basically complete control but go to go to places that you can invest in and then make basically make your own structure make it in your own image yeah don't go into places and try and enforce your image on what they already produce because then you're going to get backlash <laughs> and the same 10 generic gimmicks from every promotion. I mean, and they wonder why there isn't any creative creativity nowadays in wrestling when yeah. they stranglehold so many people that, that they employ. <laughs> 
it's, again, it, we're, we're talking about the same things I feel like most wrestling fans have been talking about for a very long time. A very yeah. long time. If you yeah. like, no, I said like to people, if you like WWE's formula, good. Enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. Have there no is issue. nothing wrong with enjoying that. Like they've got, a, they've got a formula that works and is successful. But I think with the way that wrestling is growing, changing as a as a form of media, you have to move with it. Yeah, and I feel you know that's 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 the great part about pro wrestling is yeah, that I, I think I think the dynamic has shifted now. Yeah, no, I, I, I agreed on this one. Boy, this has been this has been a really dour, dour no, hasn't it for this? this yeah, it really. <laughs> Right, I need some. We need something, at least one thing. Um, what's one good thing that's been in the news that can cheer us up? What do we think? What, 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 uh, what can I think? Think, um, think, Sam. Uh, Shingo's still world champion. Yes, that's good. Um, Wrestlers Lab Alchemy are doing another set and are recording their newest series. Oh yes, looking forward to um, that. I believe MV Young's Polyam Cult Party. Uh, three or four is due to happen soon. Yes, yes. I've also seen the the, the list of the, the the current episode or the last bulk of episodes that are happening in the uh, in the current season of Dark Side of the Ring when it comes back from its break in September. Very much yes. looking forward to those bulk of episodes. Oh um, yeah. If you want my oh god, if you want my tips for that one in terms of episodes to watch. Uh, sorry, give me a second. I wrote them down in a list somewhere. You can cut this bit out. <laughs> I'll put the Jeopardy theme on in the background. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, if you want my recommendations, um, uh, Canyon. That one's going to be good. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we are still very much on the theme of Pride Month, um, and I feel like Canyon's story is a very important one to tell. Yeah. Uh, Luna Vachon, and obviously FMW and Itsushi Onita. Because <laughs> we really talked about him la- last week, and I told you to the story. The thing ca- is, right? Recording. The thing is, right? I know they're. Don't say they're going to come out of an even more random story. Oh, they have to. Surely they find something about Onita that's so unbelievable, but it's believable because it's Onita. <laughs> oh uh, yeah, but no, those episodes, and obviously there's also the one about the plane rides from hell, um, which will be worth which will be worth checking out. And I can't remember what the other two or three episodes in that block are, but there's a they got some good stuff in there. Absolutely, absolutely. But I'm guessing with all of that, Dan, is that the end of the news? Uh, yeah, I think so. Unless anyone else has anything to come up. Do we want to jump into Recommendation Corner? Absolutely. Recommendation Um, Corner will be written. There you go. I, as soon as we've got the finale, this um, YouTuber that I want to recommend for everyone isn't, as far as I know, um, on the LGBTQIA plus spectrum, but... She has done two videos that are adjacent, and her channel is utterly fantastic anyway. Mm-hmm. So, the channel is Be Kind Rewind, which talks about... Yeah, I love that movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I've, never, I've always wondered, is that, like, a reference to that movie? But it, it has nothing to do with that I movie in terms of... 
Yeah, I want to say almost definitely, but I also believe that that was an advertising slogan used by, I believe, Blockbuster. <laughs> Maybe. Probably. Possibly. So it, it comes up a lot. But in any event, <laughs> Be Kind Rewind is a is a channel talking about film actresses very oh, specifically. Particularly of in the golden age of Hollywood. That's almost kind of that's almost kind of good a good uh, a good segue into our episode, Reed, and I like. Oh, yeah, there you go. Do a quick recommendation corner as well. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Just real quick, I got two um, videos that I really want to recommend as as they are both technically Pride adjacent, so I got to do that. <laughs> there is um, Mommy Dearest and the Legacies of Faye Dunaway and Joan Crawford, featuring Lip Sinker. Which is a great, great video. And the most recent video of the time of this recording, how Madonna references classic films, which is honestly one of the best YouTube analysis videos I've ever watched and has actually made me want to reevaluate Madonna as an artist. So those two videos, highly recommended from me. Um, I would just like to take the opportunity to do a very quick recommendation corner. Um, while doing my my usual browsing, I came across a a very little and random YouTube channel. <laughs> uh, it's called Henderson Variety, um, oh, and it's yeah. like it the the channel itself is old, but for some at some point in like the last three weeks, they just started posting niche clips from wwe yes and all they are are like 14 second videos of just random stuff from like the mid 90s in wrestling yeah and it is just like weirdly fascinating of all these just random things it's just like um of just like random spots that people did like once <laughs> mm. And it, it's I, I just love it because it's just this completely ranchered, nothing wrestling related beforehand. <laughs> Only in like the last three weeks have they been uploading these short clips. They've been putting up in my recommended as well, and I love it. I, I mean, I, I have just typed it in. Dear God in heaven. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it's crazy. All right, I'm gonna have. I'm gonna myself. I'm gonna have a a recommendation as corner as well to Wrestling Arcade, who are uh, just um were posting out all of their orders for the very first official Sick Nick Mondo action figure. Their second variety and run is coming out on July 5th. I am going to be making an order for that because I fucking love Nick Mondo and I definitely want a, uh, a figurine of Nick Mondo. So no, Wrestling Arcade, they are... I've seen Johnny's unboxing of, of the Nick Mondo figure and it looks so freaking awesome so I'm looking forward to that for sure but no at Wrestling Arcade on Twitter they do some freaking awesome stuff and they actually retweeted one of your tweets Dan of Nick Mondo if I believe yeah yeah <laughs> alrighty with all of that it is time to get on with this episode The Natural Dustin Rhodes uh, talking about his life, his career, and of course, some of his greatest characters. Well, the, the one true great character, let's be honest, of his career. But gentlemen, my first question to the pair of you is, how would you rate 
Dustin Rhodes' career up to this point? I would say that his career is like the Phoenix in that it continues to die and resurrect every so often. <laughs> but even better? Um, <laughs> I would say... I, I, I guess I would frame it as a person who was very good and despite all the bad stuff still continued to succeed. Abs- no, I I agree with you on that one for sure. Mm-hmm. For the pair of you, because oh, like um, it, it it's very, it's obviously very difficult in something performance based like this to say, oh, they're a really good, you know, like you're a really good actor, but you've been given a bad character because people have this expectation that like, oh, if you're a really good actor, you can make any character convincing. Yeah, but like we're talking about a person who was genuinely an incredible wrestler that was always just saddled with, like, awful. I feel that's the Rhodes curse in WWE, if I'm honest. <laughs> they, yeah, they are, they are way. so yeah. damn good and charismatic that even when they're given awfulness, they have to make it work, and they just do. Like, I don't know what Vince had it out with the Rhodes family, but he certainly had it out for them. But in spite of that, they made it work. I just assume ever since Dusty went to WCW, that was just like it. Yeah. (laughs) And then I was just like, I don't care. I don't care how good you are. I'm just going to give you the worst thing ever. (laughs) But goddammit, did they make it work? Anyway, let us get on to the very first part. His debut and his first run in the WWF. Born in 1969, the grandson of a plumber, Dustin Runnels, quickly picked up the proficiency of pro wrestling and in 1988 made his debut for championship wrestling from Florida, where he would soon capture the NWA Florida Heavyweight Championship from Al Perez. So like immediately, like people are already picking up that, uh, yeah, no, he's he's not getting by just because of his name. He's actually bloody good at what he does. Yeah, actually, before we do this, Sam, mm-hmm. can we have a very quick Pokedex on the American Dream Dusty Roads? Oh, dude. You can have yeah. the Pokedex all you want, baby. <laughs> who, shockingly, I don't think has ever come up yet in no. our one year, which is uh... ridiculous. What I can say is, is that I believe he's definitely come up. I think he may have come but up I, on the TNA we, episode as well as the WCW we've episode. Never, we've never, um, I mean, there's, there's obviously been copious amounts of Dusty Road voice impressions. Bebe. Make a dream, daddy. Um, <laughs> but I don't think we've ever Pokedexed. But no, uh, fire away, Raiden. No, Sam, this is for you. This is definitely for you. Oh, definitely, definitely. for me. Oh, yeah. gosh. The son, of, the son of a plumber. You want me to do yeah. this? Wow, I feel I feel a lot of pressure because this is your spot, Reardon. I know, I know. Yeah, but that's did, I've this... taken over from it a couple times. The yeah, you've Ameri- taken over. The American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, considered to be, quite honestly, one of the most charismatic people in all of professional wrestling. Was the rival a long-time rival of Ric Flair in the NWA, and I believe 
held the NWA World Championship a... only once did he held the NWA Championship and uh, uh, held the WCW Championship once as well. But he has been all around the Georgia, uh, Georgia Texas uh, and NWA. He is a staple name in the NWA. Yeah. And when people think of NWA, NWA, you think of... well, you think of two names, really. You think of Flair and Rhodes. Yeah. So yeah, there's my long-winded Pokedex entry. Did I do good, Reardon? You did acceptably. <laughs> acceptably. I mean, if you, want an idea, if you want an idea of how good Dusty Rhodes is, uh, go, go watch and listen to the Hard Times program. Absolutely. It, it is basically one of, well, I mean, depending on who you ask, it is one it is the or one of the greatest promos in wrestling history, and I would probably stand by that sentiment for the latter. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, how he was able to cut a promo when he had just had a 40-odd minute match in a cage, bleeding as well. It's like so effortlessly as well. It's just, man, he was too, he was he was so bloody good. Yeah. <laughs> so he very much falls into the case of like char- believable characters and you kind of just hung on to every word that he said. Absolutely. For good reason. Absolutely. So, back on to where we were with Dustin. 1989 would see his first foray in WCW, teaming with Kendall Windham to form the Texas Broncos, no relation to the Denver Broncos, uh, to some moderate success. (laughs) Some house show tours would happen for Dustin before leaving two months into his run after his father Dusty would leave to join the WWF. He would soon make a jaunt touring all Japan in the 1989 Champion Carnival as Dusty Jr. And then began working in Jerry Lawler's USWA. Now, if anyone's seen it, there are are a couple of matches of his in all Japan. Boy, did he pick up to the all Japan style incredibly well. I don't know why. Whenever I hear USWA, I just get worried. (laughs) Because <laughs> it's Jerry Lawler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> true, true. I don't. I mean, say, Lawler I mean, wins. Lol. I mean, yeah, Christmas creature. But then you know they gave us Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle in a leather vest. But you know I don't. Kurt Angle. <laughs> Kurt Angle. Now, um, <laughs> Dustin would then make his debut in the WWF in 1990. After Dusty Rhodes' valet Sapphire was bought by Ted DiBiase, now correct me if I'm wrong, Reardon, but having Ted DiBiase buy uh, Sapphire and have Virgil as his manservant, I feels a white man having two black valets is a very problematic thing. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, I have, I have thoughts on Virgil. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, do I have thoughts on Virgil? Oh. So um. Yeah, is that uh, in regards to him now, or just the storyline and the implications of that prior? Because both are correct. <laughs> both, definitely both. I, if if not for the fact that Ted DiBiase, from everything I've heard about, is a good guy, yeah. I would be side eyeing it so much more. <laughs> Oh, I mean, the fun fact being as well is that Virgil, the name of Virgil, was a was a rib at Dustin. Oh, Dusty, I should say, because everyone knows Dusty's name is Virgil. Uh, I don't know why, like, because Vince is bitter and cynical like that. He is. <laughs> Vince be Vincing. So, <laughs> at this point, uh, Dustin, when he was brought in, was depicted as just 
the carbon copy of Dusty, which, let's be honest, that's how 9 out of 10 next generation talent in WWE is always booked like. I mean, oh, look at I mean, Ted Jr. I was going to say, look at Ted DBS Jr. Jr. Uh, Sim Snooker. Uh, flipping. Oh, God, I, for- I even forgot about... Uh, Tamina, Natalia, uh, David Hart Smith, uh, like uh, the the list that I could go on. Oh, what but... you mean? You mean the Hart Dynasty? <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, I mean, like fortunately, Dusty was Dustin was spared the polka dots, so I guess there that's something. That is true. It's very like... true. <laughs> but still, like, what is it like with like? I, like, even with Randy Orton being a third generation superstar, he did the like his 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 uncle's taunt, which was like the O taunt, which got which of course, as everyone knows, got him over <laughs> in two thousand and two. Hey, do you remember when he did the Ozone? <laughs> oh, the, the the ah yes, Johnny Johnny from New Legacy's favorite move, the Overdrive. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> So, uh, Dustin's big moment would come in the 1991 Royal Rumble in a tag match with his father against DBRC and Virgil. This would be the last match for Dusty in the WWF, though, because uh, they lost against DBRC and Virgil. But, you know, silver lining, coincidentally, this was the night Virgil turned babyface against against, uh, DBRC, too. As everyone knows, massive success. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because everyone knows Virgil's babyface run. Yes, and I mean it, uh, it worked out for him tremendously because he's he has yeah. cues going out of the door at conventions, doesn't he? I was gonna say, man, man's moving like five hundred eight by tens a show. <laughs> I, what, what, look, I'll say this right before we move on to, to, to the next part. Oh. Virgil asking for twenty dollars from Brooke Hogan for a photo is fucking hilarious. Oh, it's great. That's based <laughs> officially. Just like God. Damn it, Virgil. <laughs> Anyhow, let us get on to his WCW run. Both roads would return to WCW in February of 91 and saw some great success in Dustin's run there, having tremendous matches with upper card and main event talent, eventually capturing the tag titles with Ricky Steamboat and uh, Barry Windham uh, in two occasions, and then eventually capturing the US Championship twice. Pretty much, he hit the when he got back to WCW, he hit the ground running, and he quickly showed people why he simply wasn't there because of his dad. I mean, he earned his spot yeah, no, for that, great um, knowledge and ring awareness. That uh, tag title match with uh, Ricky Steamboat is a really good match. Yes. Oh, oh God, that match. Oh, such a good match. There's a reason why <laughs> Joseph put that on his on his top twenty uh, matches yeah. of all time because that match is terrific. <laughs> uh, I mean, he earned his spot, and there is a and there is a reason why he was called the natural at that time because he just picked up <gasps> to it like a fish in water. Like he was so bloody good at what he was doing. But with all that being said, his his kind of run in WCW would unceremon- unceremoniously kind of just end as he was fired in '95 after him and his opponent, the Black Top Bully also known as the Repo Man, both drew blood during their King of the Road match when WCW had a strict no-blading policy. Now, Ridden, are you aware of the King of the Road match? I'm going to be aware. What is the King of the Road match? Are you aware of the Repo Man is the first question. Exactly. 
Fortunately, I think in the vast recesses of my main, in my mind, yeah. <laughs> so when uh, I think it was demolition, it might have been slash or is it axe? Well, it was oh, I can't remember which one. I can't remember which one. When he was unceremoniously kind of taken out of demolition, he they gave him the gimmick of a guy who repossesses your cars or your hat if you were a cowboy. Basically, he became the repo man. <laughs> But of course, WCW couldn't have that, so they gave him. Actually, no, I believe they gave Barry Darso two gimmicks. They gave him the blacktop bully, and when they re-signed him, they gave him a golfer gimmick. Nice. Because <laughs> yeah, of course, when you think of pro wrestling, weird, and you think of Tiger Woods, don't you? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm just saying, you could bring a golf club to a hardcore match. Exactly. Exactly, but do you bring a whole putting green with you as well, like he did? No. No. God damn it, WCW. Anyway, King of the Road match was a simple, hardcore match taking place on a moving truck down a highway. Oh my god. So basically, the the <laughs> the trailer was a gutted out trailer with a with a cage around it and bales of hay throughout the entire trailer. And so how do you make this thing work? Well, Dustin saw the only thing that, you know, saw success with his father when he was put in terrible matches. And that'll draw blood. That'll bring up the drama of it. Yeah, WCW had a strict no-blading policy, but both of you were fired after that match. I just love how the, the prerogative behind it was just like, we will do a match on a moving truck as if they expected that to be in any way a good match. <laughs> <laughs> early 90s WCW for you? I mean, yeah. we've spoken about WCW and their choices, and as, as we've very much said before, very amazing idea they had. They had one that was bloody awful. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of them, because it's a moving truck with bales of hay in it. You know what's the worst part? That wasn't even the worst match on that card. That's impressive. I mean, this was, if I believe, if I was right, this was Uncensored 95. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, just to think, the main event was Hulk Hogan versus Vader in a leather strap match, which wasn't the best match. No. But we also had a boxing match between Johnny B. Bad and Arn Anderson. Oh. Oh. God. Exactly. Anyway, shall I move on quickly to the part we're really excited to talk about in Why this Why does wrestling keep doing going to boxing matches? <laughs> Try asking I... Roddy Piper that, or Mr. T. Let's just get them into MMA yes. and get it done. Oh no, but no, remember last week with that match between Wardlow and Jake Hager. No, no, we don't want that, Rita. Hurricane Rana's in the cage. <laughs> we don't want that, Rita. Anyway, I'm getting... Ah, I'm getting... I need to get back because we, as I said, we need to talk about gold dust now. We must certainly need to talk about gold All right, dust. I'll give Rita the floor for the next half hour. <laughs> so, <laughs> August 1995, a 26-year-old Dustin Rhodes comes back to the WWF and Vince pitches him a... Very different gimmick to them what he's used to as natural. So rather than being a cowboy in the new generation, he decides to have uh, pitch an idea of being the personification of the golden age of Hollywood. Basically, being kind of like a, a come-to-life Oscar statuette. Um, but during his pitch to Dustin, 
Uh, Vince was saying that he wanted him to be flamboyant, eccentric, and androgynous. Uh, to which Dustin was like, sure, let's go for it. Not knowing at the time what he thought what he knew androgynous meant. After the meeting, uh, Dustin goes to look at the meaning for androgynous, to which he, in shock and horror, finds out and goes, oh, fuck, what did I get myself into? <laughs> <laughs> always keep a dictionary on hand yeah. <laughs> I mean fair play to Dustin he wanted to have a separate identity kind of differentiate himself from his father at the time so that's why he accepted it, it but one way of doing it. That's, that's, that that's is, that one is way of doing certainly it. a way <laughs> so yeah he would debut in August of 95 with promos of him around Hollywood quoting famous lines from Hollywood films and of course of course doing his very famous uh, uh, <laughs> his very famous inhale of breath and the exhale through the biting sound as well uh, all of it was there and basically Ruddles said he was very uncomfortable with doing it but it was just like oh, just as it didn't match his personality at all but he just wanted. He just worked with what he had and just ran with it because why not? I got myself into this situation. I might as well get myself through it. <laughs> so Gold Dust would debut in October the twenty second, ninety five, against Marty Janetti in your house four. Why is it yeah. always against Marty Janetti in the mid nineties? <laughs> Um, it's just like that default match <laughs> basically and that was even after Janetti left the WWF it seems like every time he was in an indie yeah. show it was always oh we've got a new guy coming in make him face Janetti <laughs> so it was during this time he was kind of a very one dimensional heel character at this time not employing some of the things that he would become famous for but that would all change with his first big feud against Razor Ramon whom he stalked and sent messages and gave him gifts throughout late 1995. This is when he would start utilising tactics such as groping and excessive affection towards his opponent in the midst of kind of the match when he would grapple them. He would kind of grope his opponent by the boobs and the butt and then do the whole inhale, like the deep breath thing as well. Uh, yeah, I never said this was politically correct in 95. Yeah. <laughs> so it's funny how much of an absolute, like, how much I adore Goldust. Yeah. But it is, I am aware now that it's because I got into later Goldust. <laughs> yes. When he, we all when he stopped doing that. <laughs> because that, all of that, it's not okay. It's not okay and, at all. And never was I okay. Don't, I don't know what would draw you to that conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> so this feud culminates at the Royal Rumble in January 96, where Goldust defeats Ramon for the Intercontinental title due to interference from the 1-2-3 kid. But this would also mark the debut of Goldust's valet, Marlena, portrayed by his then-wife, Terry Runnels. Uh, Marlena was the director for Goldust's uh, act, yeah. kind of like uh, actor, uh, actress I guess he would sometimes say but um, it was I can't remember who like Marlena was supposed to be modelled on but it was supposed to be after golden age actresses and directors of the time in the sure, 40s and sure. 50s well surely it was Mar Marlena Dietrich that's the one 
That's uh, Marlene. I mean, I'm just going off the name there, but I assume Marlene uh, Marlene Dietrich. Absolutely. No, yes, absolutely. Um, Just kind of big, uh, I guess, doubling down on the whole theatrical film style of it by giving and pairing him with his wife as a manager. Uh, basically, all she would ever do was just interfere in the matches whilst wearing a gold dress and smoking large brown cigars. Uh, would you know the perfect kind of a? I guess for a character like that, it's almost like a perfect accompaniment. Okay, okay, that is absolutely a Marlene Dietrich reference. That's yes. like, yeah. that's that's not the yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess as well, it almost kind of is quite um, kind of a very smart thing considering how her career she would play very androgynous characters as well mm. so it's almost kind of it's almost kind of the person who fought up with that if it is dustin dustin brownie points to you because that's a very smart thing <laughs> good on you my bag good on you <laughs> so the rematch between Goldust and ramon was supposed to happen at wrestlemania 12 but was cancelled after Ramon had uh, handed in his notice to, and told Vince that he was going to WCW. And would you believe it? He tested positive on a drug test, which meant he was he was cancelled and thrown out of WrestleMania 12 for not getting his payday at the time. Never would have guessed. Mm. Never would have guessed. <laughs> so uh, they they kind of scrambled quickly, and uh, Goldust was going up against Roddy Piper, as we mentioned in the Hollywood backlot brawl. And now I mentioned this as I told, uh, I mentioned a couple of things in this in last week's episode. But have you gents ever seen this match the whole way through? What is it? The, the, the Hollywood backlot brawl. Yes. Yes, I have. It is something, is it? Um, it's a combination of like. A fever dream mixed with a mid-90s director's idea of, like, intense action sequence. (laughs) Uh, Mixed with a combination of... I guess I'm going to say humour, because humour where the entire basis is um, ha-ha, non-normative thing. Yes. Uh Believe it or not, Brid, and this might have been, this might just have been the WWF's first foray to cinematic wrestling. Oh, boy, oh, boy. I mean, it makes sense for a character who's based around cinema. That is very true. So the first part of this match takes place in the Universal Studios backlot in in Hollywood. With Piper and Goldust uh, exchanging blows. Uh, I mean, if you mean blows, I mean, uh, Goldust almost ran over Piper. Well, actually, no, not almost. He ran over Roddy Piper. <laughs> Only Roddy Piper would agree to that. Exactly. I believe if it was uh, the inside the ropes. Now, you tell, you tell me how running someone over isn't a finish. Exactly. <laughs> Especially because when you see it, Roddy I can't Piper... Believe the- Indie job is kicking out of getting hit by cars. Exactly. <laughs> These spot monkeys getting hit by cars every other I week. Know. Oh, well, you're, telling, you're telling me getting hit by a car is only a one count now? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Where's the industry gone? How Roddy Piper managed to come out of that? that slightly unscathed. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm he's sorry. not wrong, though. He's I, not wrong. He's not wrong. I had to slip that punch in real quick, real quick. <laughs> oh, I love it. But no, uh, it's amazing how Roddy Pike. Roddy was supposed to jump um, onto the bonnet. But there, but um, Dustin. Well, Roddy Piper didn't do that, and uh, Dustin yeah. ran over his shins, which basically made Roddy Piper jump like fault right into the bonnet. I think wasn't it Dustin during an Inside the Ropes interview? Just went, oh my god, I've killed Roddy Piper. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, it's obviously the the uh, the uh, the best concern to have during a match. <laughs> Absolutely, of yeah. course. I talked about how they used a white Bronco and then used footage of the OJ Simpson uh, cha- uh, car chase to get back to the arena for the final so, part. Because Again, the thing we said about that before is that like, that was still very fresh in people's memories. <laughs> yeah. So the choice of using it is a very bold one. <laughs> yeah. And of course, the end of the match sees Piper strip gold dust down to reveal that he was wearing a bra and thong underneath his ring attire the whole time. Apparently, that was Dustin's own idea and got the express approval from Vince McMahon because he found it bloody hilarious. I mean, A, that sounds like it aligns perfectly with Vince's sense of humour when he genuinely thinks the funniest thing in the world is pushing someone into a pool while they're fully clothed. (laughs) Now, fun fact, gentlemen, that I only found out thanks to uh, Brian Zane and a couple of news stories corroborating this. This was not the original planned match for Roddy Piper. Because Roddy Piper was apparently going to, at one time, face the recently acquitted OJ Simpson. (laughs) Oh my god. <laughs> I Wrestling got nothing. Everyone. I got I literally yeah, have uh, got nothing. I got nothing on that one. I really don't. Yeah, the only thing I've got in here is wrestling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the industry. Oh, cuz cuz they they had built up promos of Piper not believing OJ <laughs> at all. The entire thing you just said there, they had, they had Roddy Piper building your promos to OJ. What? I know, I know. Oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, why do I like this thing? Uh, I, I, why do I do this? Because we love... Every time that I think it, it can't get more stupid, and I think I've found like the most stupid story, stuff like this comes along. Yes, yeah. we love putting ourselves through punishment. Apparently, cutting it's a just, promo on OJ. Jesus it just, it, Christ! Oh Christ! Oh, I'm just imagining I all the cursed so promos. Happy that never followed through. I was going to say, yeah. Reardon, I'm, I, I, this is the one time I'm not having a code uh, Pokedex entry for OJ Simpson. <laughs> Because I... we already know what Roddy Piper <laughs> was like when he was given free reign. And yes. God, I know, I, I have a very sp- strong feeling that perhaps in some way race might have been brought into this. It's, uh, it's. I mean, because he did worst. bad mouth. I'll say this: he did bad mouth Michael Jackson in that same promo as well. Oh, joy of joys! Joy of joys. 
Shall I move on very quickly from this? Yeah, moving on. I, saying, I, I honestly feel like this has this this had the same this had the same effect on me as when we recounted the story about Disney apparently wanting to buy ECW. Yeah, yes. Like I honestly at this point I don't even know where to go from now mentally. So let's just go on with it and just see where we end up. Sure. I, I, I'm more than happy to do that. So Goldust would continue to defend his IC title and bouts against Savio Vega, a very infamous stinker of a match against the Ultimate Warrior, before losing to Ahmed Johnson at the King of the Ring in June 96. Ahmed Johnson would then be, would become the very first black intercontinental champion. Ah, uh, yes, old Punchy himself. Juice make sugar, baby. One ton of beef stew. Uh... Um, I remember, man. WWE absolutely loved Ahmed Johnson. <laughs> yeah, for being so injury prone, they did love Ahmed Johnson quite a bit. Oh, I will say, shout out Savio Vega. Savio Vega's awesome. Savio Vega is awesome. Uh, so in August of '96, Gold Dust would briefly team and a uh, team alongside mankind and feud with the undertaker um now well, you you say that and you think people might think that sounds stupid but in a way i can kind of understand it now this is uh, I, the one point i have to put up with this is uh even though it was a great rivalry uh between him and undertaker with mankind he would call gold dust mummy oh, oh, Mick, <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> Um, Damn, Mick Foley ahead of the times? Maybe, <laughs> maybe. Yo, I mean, I mean, I mean, Mick, Mick, I mean, if anyone's gonna be ahead of the game, Mick Foley's on that list. Yeah, you think? I mean, they got a cover on the WWF magazine, so I guess it was something. I guess. Huh. <laughs> okay, then, Mick. I see you. I see you. All right, <laughs> Mick, out, Mick, mankind out there saying trans rights. All right. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. So December 96, Goldust would enter a feud with Hunter Hearst Helmsley when Helmsley began flirting with Marlena. I'm sure that'll go swimmingly. Exactly. But I guess with this feud, it did give us and lead to the debut of China as Helmsley's new bodyguard who would, uh, you know, get the upper edge by cutting off Marlena from distracting or interfering in the match. Um, This would also mark the point where Goldust would would become a fan favorite after a oh god after a god awful promo with Jerry Lawler where he says are you to which gold dust goes am i what and Jerry Lawler just nonchalantly with a with a stupid look on his face goes well queer <laughs> to which Dustin Rhodes to a massive pop from the fans says no and then clocks Jerry Lawler man it was a different time in the mid 90s wasn't it where you could get cheered for not being gay yeah yeah. See the thing is though, right? In in the context of everything, I just that just makes me dislike Jerry Lawler more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, agreed. <laughs> agreed on that one. Because like, wait a minute. Because wasn't yeah? Because it's it's bad. Because like Jerry Lawler is a heel commentator at that point. Oh, absolutely. Least. Yeah. So that's a heel move by asking. Um. I mean, a legitimate question considering. Yeah, it. I mean, it's a whole thing that. Um, That's a thing. It's, it's a whole thing that I uh, I've been reading about um, in regards to like, you know, wrestling's relationship with with being queer and queer mm-hmm. people, um, and also in in uh, the book that uh, I've been reading recently and told everyone about. Um, <laughs> but yeah, 
mid nineties. Uh, <laughs> it's heel to be queer and it's face to not be. Jesus Christ. was indeed a time in history. <laughs> it really, really was. God damn it! So ninety seven. Uh, Goldust revealed, of course, himself as Dustin Reynolds. I would have some sit-down interviews with Jim Ross, uh, kind of in the vein of those very famous Mankind um, interviews that he did, uh, that uh, that, were, that uh, Jim Ross had done at yeah. that time, that kind of elevated Mick to superstardom. Uh, but this would also start a feud with Brian Pillman, which Brian would say that he was once in a relationship with Terry and was actually the father of Dustin's kid. And then this all culminated in a match where if Brian uh, had lost the match, he would leave the WWF. But if he won, he would uh, uh, he would uh, get the services of Terry for 30 days. Of course, Brian Pillman won. And then they started running vignettes called the Triple X Files, where Brian Pillman would be in a bed with Terry talking about, oh, nothing gets between me and my Calvins except for your wife, Dustin. I I don't know. I, I, Brian Zane brings Yikes. up a very interesting. Brian Zane brought up a very interesting point. Uh, Vince Russo did not have a high affinity for or high affinity for women back in the day, or high thought thought of women now back in the day. No, what would have not. ever given you that impression? You know, it's like it's I I really want to know, right? How much of that is is like Vince Russo himself and how much of it is we want this to be Jerry Springer with wrestling. Yeah. I really want to know. Like, I mean, it's kind of the thing that um, I've kind of echoed back to other people on regards to stuff where I'm like, I feel like it was, I feel like it's all part of the, the weird kind of characterization around women in reality TV like in the late 90s and early 2000s yeah, yeah. Um, and the thing is is that uh vince russo's idea was basically to turn wrestling into reality tv yeah uh, so i maintain that the comparisons are apt um and yeah basically it was that whole thing of just like haha look woman on screen chant <sighs> You know, it just makes you go. Ugh. But you know, as as I've always as I've always said to other people, um, I can't remember who said the quote, uh, but it was, uh, "Wrestling is always five years behind uh, everything else in culture." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, just a wee bit. But I think in in some cases and in some areas, it's more like fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, in this case, before this storyline and the thirty days were up, Pillman. Uh, unfortunately passed away uh, in October 97 so the, the the story was kind of wrapped was kind of left in the air and it was kind of kind of rummaged very quickly and kind of in a haphazard way they set up a storyline in November where Dustin split with Marlena and kind of um, kind of kayfabe uh, their marriage split up their marriage this would turn gold dust heel once more and would uh, he would align himself with Luna Vachon to become the artist formerly known as Goldust, and quite possibly one of the weirdest parts. And I'm, I, I mean, I say that given Dustin's career, one of the weirdest parts of his career. 
where he would come out as a neon-coloured sub. He would come out as a Christmas tree. He would once... Oh, I can't believe I'm going to say this. He would once come out in blackface dressed as a pimp. Remember when I said wrestling was often behind other other parts of culture? Well, that's, um, at that point, 20 at that point, 20 years behind. Yes. Yeah. He would start to mimic... It's a variable time scale. <laughs> he would start mimicking celebrities and fellow wrestlers uh, with such highlights as China Dust, Dust Love Dust, Dusty Dust when he mimicked his dad in polka dots, Hunter Dust, Flash Dust, Marilyn Manson Dust, Sable Dust, and Vader Man- Dust. I feel like for the Marilyn Manson one, you just... just... At that point, just just try and be Marilyn Manson. Don't even add the dust on the end. I, I was gonna say, I was gonna say at that point, just be Sting. Be- <laughs> also true. Also true. <laughs> I mean, the re- also this was around the time, uh, the very infamous story of he made a legitimate push for Vince to 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 get breast implants as part of the gimmick before being talked out of it by Vince. Believe it or One not, one of my favorite stories of all time in wrestling. Yeah, I... because what because what this does is it sets out that in fact in his mind Vince does have limits. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought it would have been boobs that would have been the thing that would have been his limit? Who would have funk it? So, after this, uh, he would then ditch the gold dust character to become a, um... Well, kind of become kind of a religious zealot, I guess you could say? Yeah, this was like the, uh... A televangelist, would you say? Yeah, I was gonna say, he became like a born-again Christian or something. Yes, he, he and he became, uh... He would. He was. Start... Oh no! All I all I remember is he used to tell people to read the Bible and not watch WWE. Exactly. Which, like... He was doing it as part of a group known as the Evangelists Against Television, Movies, and Entertainment, or the acronym Eat Me. Nice. Nice. Which, of course, Vince Russo humor in nineteen ninety eight. Everybody. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, this yeah. man did come up with the company TNA. Yeah. Uh, so soon, quickly. Total soon, non-stop action, by the way. Believe it or not, soon after this, and after his uh, his feud with Val Venus, who had been sleeping with his uh, then ex, well, his ex-wife Terry in storyline. I don't want to remember that Val Venus was a thing. Yeah, it's can not, we can we ignore Val Venus, please? Especially how I've got to say, especially how sure Morley is nowadays, which is a bit. But I digress. He would quickly then go back to the gold dust, uh, dust, dust character, and in early '99, um, after winning the Intercontinental Championship for a third time uh, and then losing it to Godfather, he would be uh, he would leave the company in June 1999, which gives us oh god, we got to talk about seven. <laughs> It's one of the most confusing things I think I've ever seen in my life. So, it was supposed to be a gimmick that was sort of based on the Strangers from Dark City. If anyone's seen that film, you know, great film. I feel like I feel like first off, that's not really a good place to start. Very true. It's a good because that relies that because that relies on contextual knowledge. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, if you've seen the vin- uh, the vignettes, they were very famous <laughs> things of being of of Dustin in full makeup and the hat standing outside a child's bedroom window. 
Now, the character was dropped, believe it or not, by Turner standards and practices after expressing concern that this gimmick could be misinterpreted as a child abductor. See, again, this is the problem when you rely on outside context that you don't provide. Yeah, yeah. Because it's one of the many things I've said, like, I always find it funny that, of all things, Sting's most iconic character is based on the crow. Yeah, exactly. that still relies on a level of outside knowledge, which people might not have. Obviously, they kind of did get that across through everything. Mm. But it still seems weird to me that they would base it on the crow, as we mentioned before, we're talking about WTW. <laughs> so to rely to rely on prior knowledge of the nineteen ninety-eight film Dark City. <laughs> Fun fact about Dark City though, I don't and Ridden definitely knows about this. Some of the set design and some of the set pieces from that film were used in the first Matrix. Yep, 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 yeah. Hence why they, there is such a similarity in look to the pair of them. But I digress. But yeah, re- relying on prior context which you're not which you're choosing not to provide especially a situation like this just leads you open to a world of hurt of course this leads up to the very infamous promo in which seven coming out levitating to the ring may i add so stupid come goes to the center of the ring and dustin kind of removes all of the character and provides a worked shoot on the silly crap that he's wearing as well as his time as gold dust in the WWF, and then basically kind of just kiboshing everything that the character had planned, mostly because of what Turner standards and practice uh, kiboshed it as well. Uh, he would then Do it on them. He they would, made the right decision. Exactly, he would come back as himself, and he beat Cody by being the first Ruddles uh, member of the family to be called the American Nightmare. Really? Based. Yep. Well, how about that? I know, right? Yeah. So he would. I Cody's mean, still not... still stealing from his family, is he? <laughs> oh man! So I can't really say much about this run because he wasn't really used at this time. I mean, yeah. as soon as he came in, Vince Russo had entered into the four, right? And basically, he would feud with Jarrett. He would feud with Terry Funk. Um, he would then kind of have a eventual feud, a match with uh, Ric Flair. But he would eventually his his final match would be in the last WCW pay per view, which everyone knows was WCW Greed, which is that yeah. is a pay per view and a half if you've not seen it. It is something. <laughs> uh, but after the purchase of WCW from the uh, WWF, they did not acquire. Dustin's contract. So there was a bit of time between 2001 and 2002 where he just kind of went on the indie circuit and had matches here yeah. and there. I believe he had one match against Steve Carino of all people as well. Yeah, yeah, no, he did. Uh, but he ah. would he would eventually come back in the 2002 Royal Rumble to a quite a big pop. Um, and it was only supposed to be a one-and-done deal in this Royal Rumble, because I believe this was the same Royal Rumble in which Mr. Perfect returned as well. Oh, shit. Uh, but it was yep. supposed to be one-and-done for Justin on this one, but they, they but Vince was so impressed by the reception he had got that he gave him a contract on the on the spot. And uh, he had a little he had a little feud 
with uh, Rob Van Dam uh, when he came back. But of course, as everyone remembers, Goldust's best time teaming with Booker T. Oh, yes. Yes, let's talk about this. Let's do it. I love what? this tag team so much. This oh, is it's so good. The Pete, like... It is an energy that was not replicated until maybe Team Hell No. So that took, like, 20 years. It took 20 years for something equal to this. So, how did this work so well? I tell you this much for two guys that you could, for Booker, especially, you had to really go out and prove himself again, and especially to a WWE crowd. He let this work, he made this work, and then some. And I feel like some of the silly vignettes that these guys had and the promos they had backstage, I still remember Booker T dressed as a lumberjack. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to this day, I still remember that. <laughs> they made it work, and they got ta- they got a tag team run, like tag team title run as well. Like, yeah. just oh, just the. Can I ask a question for the gang, for the yeah. and my crew? Who was the straight man of the two? Oh, it's got to be. It had to have been Booker, because there was. I remember one specific line. Uh, if I well, one specific promo, one specific line. Uh, the King of the Ring 2002 backstage promo between him, uh, between Booker, Goldust, and The Rock, where Goldust was dressed as The Rock. <laughs> there it is. And it was terrific because just The Rock coming up behind him and taking the piss out of Goldust after that as well. <laughs> but Booker, you could tell Booker being the straight guy, having respect for Rock, but you could tell he was creasing because he kept turning, turning his head away every time Goldust would speak. <laughs> Booker corpsing on air. Uh, and then there was another one during... Oh, God, I can't believe I'm mentioning the Katie Vick storyline. <laughs> oh, no. But after that, like, he would go... Book, like, there was a backstage program between Booker, Goldust, and Kane. And Booker said... Who in the right in their right mind has sex with a dead body? To which Goldust raises his hand. Both of them do the slow turn to look at him, and he goes, "What? I was young and stupid." <laughs> God damn! Again, it's just these two worked bounced off each other so freaking well, so yeah. freaking well. Of course, this I, this I don't know specifically between. Goldust and Booker T what would be my favourite thing but I again they had a very specific energy which was just great yeah. um, I disagree it was my absolute favourite thing <laughs> my absolute favourite thing that solidified them and solidified Goldust and probably plotted the first seeds of this is of congratulations Rin this is what you're going to be like for the rest of your life <laughs> this 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 tag team with booker t would lead of course to that moment where evolution just before shortly before it might have been after wrestlemania it is a mystery would attack gold dust and and electrocute him by throwing him through uh the the led panels Uh, i think below or it could have been behind the raw set and this would cause Goldust to develop a new character trait, having a stutter and Tourette's-like um, outbursts. If you remember that time, every time you go, nya, and you go, tick, tick, duh, duffel blag, a blue one. 
Yep. This would, of course, infamously lead to me when he appeared on the Howard Stern show when someone from the Tourette Society called him up and said he was he was taking the mick, to which Goldust went, I don't know if I'm taking the, the, the mick. I'm like, oh, oh my God, what are you doing? Wow, that that's oh. so bad that it goes right, right around to me. I almost, I, the darkest part of my soul wants to respect the balls to do that, even <laughs> though that's so bad. That's so bad thing to do. It's, but can we also, yeah. Well, but can we also just say, like, that one of the great things about that electrocution is that it remained in character for the rest of his career. Exactly! <laughs> he kept it up! He... <laughs> for so long, he kept that up. Like... <laughs> it's almost like it's good having continuity. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, it was so, it was such a, a, a fun time, I felt. But unfortunately, I mean, with the good comes the bad. And he was released in December 2003. And I, I really have been debating whether to talk about this time in Dustin's life because it was not a great time in his life. And honestly, I don't think it's, it's reflective of how good uh, an extremely good talent and wrestler he is. Um, but... For I guess for context's sake, I will go on about I will I will lightly touch upon it. So after being uh, having his contract expired in two thousand and three, he would make sporadic appearances in uh, in Japan. He would have a couple of appearances uh, in TNA here and there, yeah. until eventually getting a full time deal, debuting in uh, TNA as the Lone Star Dustin Rhodes before eventually in 2005 adopting kind of a brand new kind of kind of split personality character in in a promo he he said he had so in backstage promos he would be Dustin Rhodes and then in matches he would become quite possibly his my least favorite character of his which is Black Rain yeah it wasn't good uh, i mean the only reason i talk i i don't like talking about this time is because dustin was very much um having problems with su- with substance abuse he you could tell yeah. that he was very much not happy with how he looked uh, he was he he was overweight during this time and he was not having good matches like he was having matches with abyss and raven in hardcore matches here and there um and yeah, I just I the the least I can say about yeah. this is this was not a good time, and I don't I, I don't enjoy talking about it. I don't I don't enjoy going back and watching it because you go and go, God, you know this guy's so good, but he's just it's just not there. Um, his contract would quickly would expire in April of two thousand and five, and he chose not to renew it, leaving. And at this time, he did uh, he decided to get turn his life around, get himself clean. Uh, lose the weight and get back on on the horse, which which event which would eventually get him back in the WWE, uh, with bit parts here and there as Gold Dust. I think one of my favourite parts of this was uh, uh was, was it WrestleMania twenty two uh where Booker T was going up against the uh, the Boogeyman and then he bumped into Gold Dust got <laughs> bumped into Gold yeah. Dust in the back dressed in a, I think it was a wig and a dress. And he insinuated oh to Boogeyman. He insinuated to Booker that the only way he could beat the Boogeyman was putting worms in his um, in his butt. I say he insinuated Gold Dust to Booker that Wrestling. the only way to beat. 
Wrestling. Wrestling. <laughs> but again, a couple of jumps here and there. He would eventually... He would, uh, after that, he would make sporadic appearances again in Japan. He would then eventually jump into being in All Japan in 2007, having uh, some matches yep. against the great Muta, uh, actually uh, pairing up with the Muta to face... Uh, uh, actually, no, actually pairing with Jinsei Shinzaki to face Muta and Yoshihiro Tajiri. The Tajiri. Yeah. The Tajiri. <laughs> but of course, then, I won't... Again, another thing, I won't talk about... Uh, Again, this time in TNA, but I guess the only thing I would talk about is that he was the reason for Relic, which is killer backwards. Did you know that? Did you know that? God, Just in case. God fucking damn it. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess, you know, he got back on this horse. He became, you know, got back to WWE, was having, uh, came back as Gold Dust, was having good matches here and there. He became a backstage producer. Of course, everyone knows that, unfortunately, he was let go after that unfortunate uh, spot that he planned with the primetime players and Yoshitatsu. But he, he's great. I feel like his best run in WWE was that time between 2013 and 2015 when he um, teamed with Cody. Yeah. Uh, yes. I mean, I can, I can say very confidently the... Uh, it's the match between, well, I think it's, is it gold? Is he, is he still Cody in that one? I want to say it's still Cody. I think it's gold dust and Cody versus the shield at battlegrounds. Oh God. 2014. I want to say 13 or 14. Cause it wasn't it when they were up against the shield, it was to win their jobs back. Yeah, yeah. I think it might have been fourteen, but no, that was a tremendous match, and they had that's a, that's a that's a really great match. They had so many good matches at this time. Like, remember the cage match they had? Um, I think it might have been. I want to say it might have been the Outlaws of the Usos, uh, where Cody did the uh, the top uh, top of the cage moonsault. Um, um, I know the one that you mean, but I. For life of me, I can't remember, but it was I, I, I remember that being an incredible match. But they they would eventually capture the gold once, and then of course, if, as everyone knows, they kind of split up, and then um, that's when Cody came back and debuted as Stardust, which, funnily enough, is a uh, is an actual slight reference to uh, Dusty's uh, nickname, which he was known as Stardust, believe it or not. I did not know that, and also Stardust was great. I'm sorry, Cody. I will always disagree with you here. I understand that you had a bad time at the time, but it was the but it was the management's fault. It was not the gimmick. Stardust was effing great. As I said, I will... it's it's the curse of the Rhodes family, isn't it? That they yeah. take gimmick yeah. that's bad, but they make it fucking good. It was so good. I don't give. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. I'm in. I'm in slight agreement with you there, man. Like, I did not mind Stardust, and I think Cody pulled it off with incredible charisma. So, like, I can't fault him for that one, especially because when you hear that in an interview, uh, in a later interview when he had left, that the original uh, uh, depiction of the character was actually more looking like Cable from the X Men. Oh. Oh. It's, it's strange isn't it like he it was pitched to him as like, oh you're going to be like cable from the x-men 
and then they get, made him more look more like gold dust to which i was being like how would that would have looked like from an aesthetic point and a storyline perspective if you had a cable like character yeah. like maybe like you go for like the like the the like a silver like a silver um god I'm, I'm losing my words here like a silver hand or something i don't know i w- i would imagine so i mean i would have loved to have seen that but as as you said reading i really did like stardust and it did give us i'll be honest it did give us one of the best better celebrity matches with uh, the tag match between uh, uh, Neville and Stephen Amell versus King Barrett and Stardust. Uh, that match has no right to go as hard as it does. <laughs> it so it gave the wrestling world Stephen Amell, who is, by all intents and purposes, probably one of the best celebrity wrestlers. Yeah. Yeah. He had a match with yeah. Christopher Daniels, so I think that, that, that says something about Stephen Amell. <laughs> but of course this all wraps up i mean of course we have the golden truth which i thought was actually not a bad oh yeah Uh, i didn't think that was bad at all and he then would do a throwback to his first depiction of gold dust like quoting film uh uh famous film lines here and there especially i remember one great promo with him and john cena as well during that uh, that time of gold dust going back to his uh kind of like original roots uh, as his character but then a f- uh kind of i guess after everything that happened when he had turned heel when they when we got the crime that was having the Rhodes brothers up against each other at fast lane when we all know that should have been at wrestlemania <laughs> we yeah. all know that this should have been at wrestlemania and on top of everything else there he decided to kind of depart from wwe for the last time as he said he just kind of felt like he was you know down the pecking order and wasn't being used as much as he should have been as kind of like a not only as a kind of coach like a player coach but just kind of there to help the product as a whole uh which of course would lead uh (laughs) it would lead to one day after confirming his departure that he turned up at AUW at double or nothing he would make his debut against Cody in quite possibly one hell of a match one hell of a match Um, this is where we're going to wrap up here because I do really want to talk about uh, this match and how uh, I mean double or nothing at that time, at that point, uh, I would have said was a tremendous success for AEW. But then to have a a a balls to the wall classic Southern style wrestling match, um, I really think took it to the upper echelons. Now I remember you saying, Reardon, that uh, it's you find this, and I all intents and purposes, I do agree with you. This is a hard watch. Uh, sometimes this match. Sometimes it's just a hard, it's a hard watch. It's a hard watch, man. Because there is, I mean, the the violence and brutality of this match is, oh, it is something. That's that. That's that southern wrestling style. The southern wrestling style of I'm going to beat my brother to near death on live television. I I just I think they both were channeling their dad that entire match. Oh, one hundred percent. It's a fantastic match, and if you really kind of want to know the real like nitty gritty of why people think of it so highly and with high, high oh, hold it with such high regard, again, our good friend Joseph Bontecilio has done an entire video essay on it called "Blood yes. Is Thicker Than Water." 
there's there's a, there's a lot of uh, really good analysis videos about um that match i just mm. I, there's there's a there's a very good reason why it resonates so vividly with so many people yeah i what i love about it is not only is it it's the kind of the, the brutality of it harkening back to days of southern style wrestling but um it's just it's like how dustin dustin's selling and his move and the way he moved about that ring would not leave you to believe that he was 50 when that match happened. Yeah, that's ridiculous. He pulled off a code red at 50. I mean, right now he's on, you know, he's on, he's on that Benjamin Button ish. Yes. And now it's just going like, okay, now what even more ridiculous thing can I do? The fact that the man not only turned his life around, he got clean, but the fact that he transformed his body. To, I mean, he looks so goddamn youthful for his age. Yeah. And the fact that even at 52 nowadays, he can still move around that ring just as much as he did when he was 26 is... Man, I don't know a, a single wrestler who can still move as good as they did in their prime. Quite like Dustin. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know many outside. I don't know many outside of Japan. Yeah, that was basically going to be what I said. <laughs> so basically, we're going to say Dustin Rhodes versus Junior Akiyama in AEW. I would, I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> I now, would love you, to see now. That. If you said now, if you said to me hypothetically, um. Dustin Ro- Dustin Rhodes versus uh, versus Keiji Muto. <laughs> All righty then. <laughs> I'm just saying. I look. I'm I say that there's like there's. I mean, considering they have the the New Japan deal. Um, I mean, D- Dustin Rhodes versus Yuji Nagata. Um. Yeah. Um, obviously, I mean, obviously, Minoru Suzuki, but I'll just I'll watch Minoru Suzuki against anyone, to be honest. Absolutely. So, um, I, yeah, like it's 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 crazy. Dustin Rhodes versus Sakuraba. Oh, <laughs> Dad! Now you're making me have. Now you're making me fold my legs now. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it's safe to say, as we wrap this all up. Dustin Rhodes' career has been has been such a hodgepodge of so many different things in professional wrestling, but yet he is still, in my eyes, he's still probably one of the best ever. Okay, well, first off, before we before we do this, Rin, I'm going to pass this over to you because um, I feel like you're the person to to say this. Mm. Um, for anyone that is listening, um. I would like you to explain, in in your own words, why we are talking about Dustin Rhodes, or Dustin Runnels, Gold Dust, whatever, in context of Pride Month. <laughs> oh, God. This is going to sound so utterly bizarre. Because we have prefaced this... How and poetic, a lot of, um... considering he's the bizarre yeah. one, after all. <laughs> yeah. So... We have, um, over Pride Month, have admitted repeatedly we haven't sugarcoated the fact that wrestling up until basically this year (laughs) (laughs) has not been a safe place for LGBT wrestlers, for 
portrayals of LGBT characters and probably for LGBT fans as well. Mm. Yep. And Goldust, unfortunately, is no exception. Like, the character, mm. we, we've talked about it a lot. Yeah, and we've, and we've discussed how a lot of the stuff, the very, the faux and the um, and th the sexual harassment, to be blunt, <laughs> as this this guy, Goldust, was for the longest time the closest to LGBT representation you got yeah. in wrestling, which isn't good <laughs> at all. Hmm. But it always goes into weird things with, with it's a funny thing representation, isn't it? <laughs> because we see this to like this will make sense in context. We see this with like Disney villains who have been who a lot of it had been coded queer for the longest time and yet being absolutely reclaimed by those same people as basically gay icons. So are we basically saying that Gold Dust is the low key of WWE? <laughs> I, now, I will can listen. You, could you please could you please say that sentence just a little with like slightly different enunciation? <laughs> do you want me to do the ex do you want me to do the inhale as well? No, no, as in he He's so, become the low key, not the low key. Because so, oh I, I definitely don't think low key counts as LGBTQ plus <laughs> representation. No. So has he become the low key? <laughs> oh dear. But no, in all honesty, as as an, I like, I came out, and I when I came out, I found myself looking back to you know as you often do when you come out as to like the signs and to like how your feelings developed and gold dust is a character that was just so out there so utterly of it and portrayed so utterly fearlessly <laughs> that it kind of in my in my mind anyway i can't say for anyone else for me, I will always, always love him. Yeah. As the ultimate, the, my, I have no choice but to stand <laughs> and to <laughs> use that energy in everything I do. <laughs> and in all honesty, the character, for all of its many, many faults, means the absolute world to me so dustin if you're if you're somehow listening to this thank you you mad lads for giving me gold dust <laughs> man that is a great way to end it that is a great way to end it and uh man yeah so like my thoughts and feelings are damn dustin like going through all of this i realized that man dustin is so I feel not over, not underrated, but some but I feel he's on the precipice of being underappreciated. Yeah, yeah. But most people know. I think you could tell to every wrestling fan. We all say, "God, Gold Dust was great," or or to a more hardcore base, like "God, Dustin is fucking awesome." I will um. say, um, he definitely has at least a top three snap power slam in the business. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. 
<laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Alrighty then, chaps. With all that, that wraps up Pride Month here at the Sweet Chinwag. But not Pride, obviously. Yeah, never. <laughs> this is... It's crazy, man. It's been, As I said, it's been such an enjoyable uh, month of stuff here at the Sweet Chinwag and so much creativity and positivity that's come from it. I've so, so appreciated all of the positive feedback, all of the love and great vibes that uh, everyone has given us online and on the podcast and on our videos as well. And I'm, again, as I said, I'm so looking forward to next year when we can do it all over again. Hell yeah, um, buddy. Absolutely. Alrighty, so next episode. We've been out of the game for a while, but oh boy, is great wrestlers you never knew back for its fourth volume. <laughs> I am very I'm... excited for this one because this one's going to be a very different uh, very different installment of Great Wrestlers You've Never Knew. We've talked about uh, current day legends. We've talked about legends of yesteryear and we've talked about people that are going to become bonafide legends today. But for this one, we're talking about a modern day wrestler not very well known to, to to the outside fringes of casual wrestling fans, but to a hardcore audience, he is beloved and probably, I dare say, even considered a, a legend even now. Yeah. So look forward to seeing who that's going to be when we announce it on our uh, on our socials uh, sometime mm-hmm. in the week. Uh, but yeah, uh, also on the from this recording on the twenty seventh. <laughs> the VOD will probably be up if you've not seen this, but on the 27th, we're going to subject Reardon to the best, quotation marks, best of backyard wrestling <laughs> in Mystery Backyard Wrestling Theatre 2021. Oh, God. Oh, oh, no. oh I'm just, I can't wait to show him the best of CHW. Can you, Dan? I can't wait. <laughs> No problem. No problem. Uh, listen, listen, listen. If I'm going to be subjected to this, I, you're going to have to wait till tomorrow. Not, not now. Oh, Stop right it. Then. I see. But until all of that, I have been Sam. This has been Dan and Reardon. And you've been listening to the Sweet Chin Wag podcast. We'll see you as ever on the next one. <laughs> Bye, everybody. This has been a Shattered Glass production. <laughs> 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 <laughs>